Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. The Masters has just gotten underway as we record this on Thursday morning. And ever since you made that excellent joke a few weeks ago, John, to consult with your doctor before trying Zalatoris, I've chuckled every time. Oh, wait, 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 it's, it's uh, ask your doctor if Zalatoris is right for you. <laughs> okay, sorry, I blew the joke. Well, the <laughs> concept did. was still uh, on track and it has made me <laughs> chuckle every time I've seen or heard Will Zalatoris's name since then. And uh, if you think that's infantile, well, that's nothing compared to the jokes I've been making since I learned he was paired with Bernhard Langer for the Masters. Uh, Bernhard Langer is <laughs> definitely one of the dangerous side effects of Zalatoris, right? Uh, and, and and now I see the third member of the threesome is amateur Joe Long, which, come on, they're just making it too easy. Uh, John, if, if I throw in a Tommy Fleetwood joke, are we risking a PG-13 rating for this episode? Well, don't forget Lee Westwood is in this event also. Oh, there you, you know. go. I've seen commercials on the Golf Channel that will help you address that malady as well. <laughs> uh, and of course, Clint, Clint Eastwood is always a guest in the booth on Sunday at Pebble Beach in February as the honorary host there. I assume the same medical attention can help either way, so to speak. Um, right. <laughs> and I'm glad you're slightly getting hooked more into golf. Uh, and I'll take that by any means necessary, obviously. Uh, and as for golf history, well, you know, you'll be learning about Gene Littler and Tommy Armour and Craig Wood. And there's just so much more for you to learn, Eric. <laughs> right. Gene Littler. Never heard that one, but I uh, feel bad for that guy. Um, and I, I don't have I don't have too much else to say on this topic, except that my 11 year old son cracks up every time he hears the name Dick Butkus, as he should. It, it, it is our right as males to laugh at these things. Uh, is he familiar with the race car driver Dick Trickle? He's not going to hate that one. either. <laughs> no, he won't. I still I still have trouble believing that's a real name, but I guess it is. All right. Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 137 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 136 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Check with your doctor before subscribing. Uh, But if he or she says it's okay, please do subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, and coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by veteran journalist and professional golf handicapper Buck Wargo to break down the betting on the Masters, which, as Eric said, is already underway. But thanks to in-tournament betting, it's never too late to consider some wagers. Uh, we'll talk to Buck about which players and which prop bets interest him most. But first, it's been a too busy week in the world of New York gambling alone. <laughs> so let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. We're going to do things a little differently for the news segment this week. Uh, There is one story, which John just alluded to, that has been absolutely dominating the U.S. gambling world for the past week. So we're going to spend the majority of the news segment tackling that big story from several angles. Then we'll finish up with a lightning round of sorts, quickly hitting on three other notable stories. But let's dig right into the big news. New York State has a mobile sports betting framework in place. It's in the budget. A path has been cleared to regulate online wagering uh, in New York uh, with State Senator Joseph Adabo, a recent Gamble On guest, projecting Super Bowl 2022 as a target date to have mobile sports books up and running. 
that's the good news for New York sports bettors and for the industry. There's also a lot of bad news, or at least confusing, not entirely clear news that many people suspect will translate into bad news. Here are the key elements of the deal that was worked into Governor Cuomo's budget. One, the state is planning to collect at least 50% of gross revenues from online betting. Two, there will be at least four skins, at least four brands for bettors to choose from. Possibly the number will be much higher, but at four, it's at least higher than the monopoly or near monopoly that Cuomo had floated. Three, platform providers will pay a one-time fee of $25 million, and it looks like there will be at least two of these platform providers, although that part of the language has been very confusing. Uh, Before we get into what some in the industry dislike about this proposed setup, John, I'll start with this question for you. Is mobile sports betting definitely coming to New York, or is there still a chance for the whole proposal to come apart because of excluded interest suing, some legislators not liking the plan, et cetera? Well, it's definitely going to be legalized in New York, which will end my three-year winning streak of betting the under on this, as you know. Um, but you have the state's horsemen and at least one tribe not loving this already. Uh, there's some huge players that seemingly will not get a spot when the music stops. So uh, legalized, yes, coming probably something gets worked out, but uh, there could definitely be a lawsuit that uh, mucks this up. Um, I was in touch with one insider this week who said communication with the New York framers of all this was fruitless because a lot of them didn't even know what the words they're talking about mean with the, you know, platform and skin and everything else. And, you know, I, I, have, I have a feeling that's probably on the Cuomo side of things too. Right. Yeah. I'm not even entirely sure what they mean by platform skin. I know, but the platform part has been confusing people a little bit here, trying to parse it. And, and yeah, you, you mentioned uh, there, there's a tribe that uh, might be, might be taking legal action. Uh, the exact statement from the Oneida nation I have here. Uh, they said, we have serious legal doubts about this legislation and the impact it will have on central New York. We regret that the state is not trying to resolve these issues cooperatively. And we remain open to discussing an outcome that works for the state, the nation, and our our entire region. But I guess you're saying whatever their objections, uh, they're not going to be able to prevent sports betting from being legalized, uh, whether they whether they're able to uh, put any pressure on to change the 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 setup at all or not. uh, They they won't be able to stop this train at this point, you're saying. Well, they could either win a lawsuit or they could win the right to simply stop paying um, their share of their uh, revenue from uh, to the state. So that that would be a win for them, even if, uh, you know, it wouldn't matter to the average casual better. It'd be a pretty big deal to the tribe if the uh, if they didn't have to pay kind of a royalty to the state in, in terms of taxes. Right. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, it's crazy that Cuomo says his goal is to make money for the state, but then we just have these $25 million one-time fees when, as we've discussed, he could arguably charge 20 times that or something, but um, you know, so uh, FanDuel and DraftKings are among those who expressed approval uh, to some degree of the situation <laughs> unfolding here. Not everybody uh, has expressed approval. So let's get to some of the complaints. Uh, Gary Pretlow, uh, one of the New York legislators who'd been pushing for sports betting, noted the similarities between the New York proposal and the New Hampshire model. And he told Sports Handle, I don't think the New Hampshire model is working, adding, I'm a free market kind of guy and wanted it wanted to open it to the world. Uh, former Gamble on guest Jeff Gural, a casino owner in New York and the racetrack operator in New Jersey, said very bluntly to the Wall Street Journal, 
It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I consider this a gift to New Jersey and to me at the Meadowlands. And my only regret is that Andrew won't be around to see this totally fail. Uh, John, what do you make of these attacks on the Cuomo plan uh, and on Cuomo himself? Uh, and uh, why, oh, why isn't he just looking at New Jersey's success and doing something similar, just maybe with a slightly higher tax rate? Uh, well, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I've known Jeff for more than 10 years, and he is a very uh, uh, aggressive progressive. I think that's the way they call it. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, he initially, when he first met uh, Governor Christie at that time, he sort of liked Christie because he felt this is a very blunt guy like me, tells it like it is. At least I know where I stand. Um, and then when uh, Christie said, well, I think I'm going to shut down the track because it was operated by the state then. And at first, Jeff told me he, he thought that Christie was bluffing. And then he realized, like, no, he really says what he thinks. He, he's going to close it. <laughs> and then he didn't like uh, Christie as much. And then he took over the track and all that. But, mm. um, you know, the way I hear it, somebody got into a disinterested Cuomo's ear, ear late last year and said, you know, you know, you really should do it this way. You should do it and you should do it this way. And Cuomo just kind of shrugged and agreed. Um, but I will say this, because sometimes the focus is more on how this stuff affects the professional gambler and 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 how do you get him to stop wagering on illegal offshore sports books and mm -hmm. a i'm not sure you can do that anyway and b i'm thinking of a regular joe in brooklyn you know my dad grew up in flatlands over there uh and for various reasons he only wants to bet legally okay so he finds his way across the hudson river every football weekend now down the road this small time casual better well the couple of mobile sports betting options that he can legally wager on in his apartment that's a great time saver and he can take the money he saves from that commute and blow it all on big parlays that well if there's a miracle it kicks in once a year and he's living large so so that seems like a good thing however convoluted the rest of all this is yeah i mean the the convenience is uh, is, is obviously going to win over quite a few most if not all betters uh, that that had been making that trip um it's it's clear first of all that this won't be exactly like New Hampshire, where, where there was just one winning bid. Um, that said, it still seems headed toward not being anywhere near as free and open a market as it should be. But, you know, I keep coming back to New Jersey and, you know, what they're doing there is working pretty well. And, uh, you know, customers in New Jersey who are finding themselves running into issues with one sports book or another still have other outs, other books to choose from, including hopefully one or two who won't limit their action. In New York, if there are only four or so books and they're not the most customer friendly books, uh, I, I do think that's going to drive the serious New York betters back to the offshores. If if a big part of the goal is to keep your betters betting on the regulated sites uh, in your state, uh, the New Jersey model Again, not perfect, but seems to work better for that than what New York is proposing. Um, I, you know, the New Jersey model is working pretty well, uh, but at the same time, the Pennsylvania model is showing that you can do okay with a tax rate three times as high. I'm just kind of surprised that New York isn't looking somewhere in between. You know, if they taxed at like 20%, maybe they'd really be maximizing everything. Uh, yeah, I think all that's fair. All right. So... If New York launches mobile betting in early 2022, what does this mean for New Jersey? Uh, also, what does this mean for the national sports betting picture? And are there any other pieces to this story that you want to comment on, John? Uh, you know, I, I have a story coming up on sportshandle.com today uh, about southern states and, and their strategies. And one question was, uh, will this New York model with the high tax rate and limited uh, operators, is that going to be a big influence on other states? And one of the panelists replied, no, 
period. <laughs> uh, and the others uh, agree, explained, and, you know, as you'll see in more detail in the article, but basically you don't go to a Southern state and say, Hey, check out what they're doing in New Jersey or check out what they're doing in New York. That doesn't go over well as, as people will see when they read it. Uh, right. As far as New Jersey goes, I did some math and I know, I know, I know I do math. That's tricky, but it looks like New Jersey taxpayers reaped about 10 million from New Yorkers in 2020 on sports betting. And then I project up to 20 million in 2021 because the first mobile bet won't take place this year in New York for sure. Uh, for operators, they collectively scored an extra about 80 million or more from big applers in 2020. And so they could double that also in 2021. Um, now, New York will also quadruple the tariff fund gross operating profits, as you suggested. So even the Jersey books that landed New York license won't quite break even there where they're keeping that customer, but they're not they're not keeping as much of their money. Uh, and some are going to get left out entirely. That's going to cost them millions. So, yeah. All it said, you know, this was free money. It really was. I called it a free lunch in one article. Uh, New York could have matched New Jersey's efforts in 2018 and had this right away. And all that free loot would have never happened. So I guess I'm a bank account half full kind of guy. <laughs> you know, I'm looking forward to reading that Sports Handle uh, article. I have not uh, read it or I'm not your editor on that one. So, I, I, But I'm curious because that, that was definitely something I was wondering about. You know, if, if the final product that launches in New York is pretty similar to what's spelled out here at this point, I was curious how other states without sports betting would respond, whether a Florida or a Texas becomes more likely to legalize and to come up with their own wacky approach to it. Um, You know, New York is definitely showing us the downside to letting each state fend for itself on this stuff. Now, you know, I, I don't want the federal government getting involved, but at the same time, you know, there's some upside to basic guidelines on sports betting that all states would have to use as a baseline. Um, but look, in the end, if New York has mobile sports betting in 2022, as it seems that they are uh, certain to do, that has to be more positive than negative for the industry as a whole, right? Like it, it would be hard to screw up so badly that 20 million new people having access to mobile sports betting in their state becomes a bad thing. Uh, yeah, I think it is a net positive, just not as much. You know, I, I I kind of have joked before about how, why you know, to your point earlier, why don't states just take the New Jersey gambling laws and everywhere in there where it says New Jersey, they just scribble it out and write down the name of their state and just <laughs> right. do that. Other than the only criticism is that you can't bet on college, uh, New Jersey college teams in New Jersey, which, you know, barely matters. But And, and, uh, and, and that, they're working toward possibly tweaking that rule anyway. Eventually, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so that would be it. So, th- so this panel kind of taught me that. Um, well, basically, you know, fifty states really are fifty states, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you don't just translate one to the other. The exception being if when your neighboring state starts eating your lunch, then they kind of notice. Finally, it took New York for years, but they finally <laughs> noticed. But, right. Yeah, they Florida and Texas, they got their own deal going on, right? And uh, this thing's not going to have any effect on them. Right. How many how many stolen uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches does it take before you notice that they've all gone missing? I guess that we've learned the answer uh, with New York and New Jersey now. Yeah, three years worth. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. Uh, moving quickly through the rest of the news. Uh, let's go to the first state to legalize statewide mobile sports betting in 2021. Wyoming, uh, whereas New York has a population of nearly 20 million, the fourth largest population in the country, uh, Wyoming is dead last with about 580,000 people. Uh, The betting will be mobile only. Tax rate is 10%. Legal age is 18. There will be a minimum of five licenses and a fairly open market. 
But of course, it's a tiny market. Uh, John, what do you make of this news? Do you expect all the major sports books to come to Wyoming because the fees are operator friendly and there doesn't seem to be much barrier to entry? Well, when I think of Wyoming, I think of two words, Jackson Hole. Uh, you know, in my many deal- many dealings with millionaires and billionaires over the past three decades or more, and I swear I know more of them than any other thousand air around, <laughs> that's where you go on summer retreat. Uh, you know, that said, these are old people, too. Uh, but how do you not put a casino in Jackson Hall? I, I don't get it. Uh, and yes, I think the major players will enter the fray. You know, 100 years from now, when Utah finally thinks about becoming the 58th and, 58th and last gambling state in the U.S., we're going to add a few, Eric. You know, that right. century of experience in Wyoming wagering could help tilt the playing field in draft duels favor. Oh, I forgot to add that there will be many mergers as well. <laughs> I, I like this crystal ball of yours. Interesting. Uh, dra- draft duel is definitely coming. I don't I don't know why why Fan Kings didn't win out as the name, but yeah. Um, uh, in the interest of keeping the podcast moving, I don't have a ton to add. I will just uh, note that the Wyoming Gaming Commission is supposed to put forth all the rules by September 1st, and so betting could commence sometime during football season. Uh, but anyway, welcome, Wyoming, all 12 of you who will be opening sports betting accounts. I think they're uh, the Cowboys, right? I'm not sure. But, yeah, is the that team, what they are? The football team. I'm pretty sure. That, that you, Wyoming University? Wyoming State? Yeah, that? University yeah. of Wyoming, I think. Yeah. All right. All right. I, I don't want to say too much more and potentially insult our wi- many Wyoming listeners. But <laughs> uh, All right. Our, our next story is a follow-up on something we've discussed a time or two before. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker has repeatedly renewed an executive order that allows people to register for mobile betting accounts remotely. But last Friday, he let it expire, forcing new bettors with new sports books to register in person, I guess because the pandemic is over or something. Uh, seems yeah. questionable. And it pushed some of the operators into overdrive, trying to spread the word about starting an account remotely over the weekend before it was too late, uh, with Barstool pushing the hardest on that front. John, are you surprised Pritzker didn't just extend the executive order indefinitely? You know, it's funny. I just mentioned to one of our colleagues earlier this week that uh, one former U.S. president once told me the, the hardest four states to make a real estate deal in were New Jersey, Rhode Island, Louisiana, and Illinois. Lots of uh, oh, intrigue, shall we say? So does this make any sense to me? No. Does it surprise me? No. Um, sure, if you wait two more months, then we're pretty much where if you wanted to get vaccinated by then, you did. So if somebody's superfluous trip to a brick and mortar casino leads to a dead man's hand, which I think is aces and eights, uh, then, hey, you roll the dice to absolutely torture this metaphor with a tire iron. <laughs> I don't think there are any dice in, in, in poker, but uh, yeah, you know, mix, yeah. mix them all together. Yeah. Uh, sure. <laughs> but aces and eights is the dead man's hand. Yes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean. Uh, to, to your point about uh, what that former president said, uh, Pritzker must be getting pressure from somebody, some of the casinos, some of the more established mobile operators in the state. Uh, I'm not sure exactly who, but getting some pressure to go back to the in-person registration. Um, it's possible that the in-person requirement could stay in place until next March if he doesn't relift it. So, um, yeah, this this is really, really bad for some of the betters who wanted to be able to do this conveniently from their own home. Now they've had a chance to open a lot of those accounts already, of course, but what about the new ones? This really hurts the mobile sports books that we're planning to launch in Illinois soon. Uh, BetMGM, Unibet, it's hard to see how they can compete. Uh, and, and BetMGM in particular has to be really pissed since they have proven competitive in numerous other states, but they just have no chance in Illinois until this rule sunsets. 
Yeah, I mean, either you believe in in person or you don't, and uh, you or you believe in. Well, I want in person, but I'm worried about the uh, the COVID nineteen, so I have right. to delay it. Or you don't. This is. Right. I was a little bit pregnant right here. <laughs> yeah. All right. And our final story this week, uh, the World Series of Poker has announced dates for a 2021 tournament series. As expected, it will not be in the summer. It will be in the fall. And our recent guest, Seth Polanski, was wrong. It will be at the Rio. The series will run from September 30th to November 23rd with the main event starting November 4th. There will also be an online series over the summer and a WSOP Europe from November to December. But it all seems kind of subject to change, depending on what happens with vaccines and variants and everything else. But the plan is to have a World Series during the fall. We'll have plenty of time to discuss it between now and then. But for now, John, any expectations about how well or sparsely attended this will be? Well, as I recall, Seth did have a little bit of love for the Rio, so I think he's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, to play off my previous comment, uh, these people are gamblers, for God's sake. They'll be there in full force with bells on, as the old saying goes. And will they also be there with masks on? That's the question. I will bet that they will not have to wear a mask. How's that for bold? And I'm not bluffing there. Um, but worst case scenario, U.S. players only. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's a possibility. Um I don't think there will be a mask requirement. I would be surprised if that's the case, but I think there will be a lot of players who choose to wear a mask. And we kind of uh, hinted at this with, with Seth that uh, those who want to cover their tells have an excuse to do so for a little while. Um, There are tons of unknowns that make setting a line on this particular main event uh, in terms of the number of entries, a very inexact science, but I'm thinking something like, 5,500, which would be way down from the 8,600 in 2019, but still a respectable number. People will be itching to play. And and I think the November timing will make Vegas a little more attractive. It's a a terrible place to be in the summer, although you do spend almost all of your time indoors. Um, But uh, one thing to watch, taking it a step further than the possibility of a mask requirement, uh, this is a really complicated issue that can't be discussed properly in just a few seconds. But the controversial topic of vaccine passports. I wonder if that may play into WSOP entry at all. We have, we have several months to see where that goes. You know, other segments of American life, I think we'll confront it first, but I would expect it to come up in some capacity as it pertains to the world series of poker. Yeah, that's a tough one all around. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the gamble on interview. It is Masters Week, and if it feels like we just had a Masters five months ago, it's because we just had a Masters five months ago. Now back in its usual April spot on the calendar instead of last year's November alternative, the Masters will have just teed off by the time you hear this. And joining us now to discuss the tournament from a betting perspective is U.S. Bets contributor Buck Wargo. Buck has written for the L.A. Times, Las Vegas Sun, and countless other notable publications. But most importantly for this conversation, he lives in Las Vegas and is a professional golf handicapper. Buck, welcome to Gamble On. Nice to be here. Um, So I'm coming at golf from the most casual of perspectives. Uh, When John asks his first question, you'll hear something coming from a guy who legitimately knows a thing or two about golf. Uh, But I'll start it off with a question for the benefit of me and the other casuals. What's different about Augusta and the Masters from other majors or other tournaments? What what are the skill sets it favors or doesn't favor in terms of like a, a middling pro who becomes a threat to win the Masters or an elite pro who has almost no shot at winning the Masters? 
uh, the fact that you have well, the only major who come, come to the same course every year, and people know this course, they know the holes, they know, they know the, uh, the par 312, they, they see all the, they have memories of everything that's happened in the past, of, you know, when Tiger uh, won and when other people have failed and Fred Couples' ball hung up on the, on the slope. They know 13, they 15. So they, they have that memory. So it just, it's just a comfortable feeling. Whereas other majors, you're going to different courses. You might play, you know, might play them every seven, eight, nine years. And so that familiarity is really what makes the Masters special. And then getting to your question regarding the skill set, and especially this week, I mean, it's really firm and fast. It's really going to be a premium on the second shot. I mean, last November, we had wet, and soft conditions. And that's why we had a record uh, score with Dustin Johnson at 20 under. And we're not going to have that this year. Uh, we might have some rain over the, the weekend or maybe Friday night, but for the first two rounds, it seems like you're going to have to really hit your spot coming in. And Phil Mickelson talked about it yesterday. You, it, you're going to have to be at the right angle and you're going to have to hit, if you don't hit it, you're going to, you're going to be off that green or you're going to be in a bad spot. So it's really the best, best person coming in off the greens is going to, going to be the, the person that's going to be favored to win. And if they miss it, then they have to be able to get up and down. So I just think that's going to be the, the best players, I think, are, will come to the top this, this week. Yeah, speaking of that, Buck, uh, you know, obviously the the Masters for, for betters, uh, track record is more important uh, there than anywhere else, even than other uh, typical big tournaments that, that are played in the same course every year. There's something about this course that uh, it seems to be uh, a puzzle that has to be figured out over the years. So based on that, now Dustin Johnson won last year under easy conditions, as you note, but he's been right there before. So we know he's established as a top uh, player at the Masters. But, you know, Sung Im and Cam Smith tied for second last year. That's only five months ago, so it seems like, hey, they're good at this course. But because of the change in conditions, um, do you discount that entirely? or And how much more do you look at 2019 and 18 results than you do just last November? You're right. I mean, course form here is very important in experience and knowing what to do. I mean, Cam Smith is not the, the best ball striker. And so, I mean, he's a great short game putter. M has a, has a great uh, great long game and not as good as short game. But I, I'm not putting those two at the top. I know there's some people you can pick them, but I'm really going for the guys with experience here and that are really trending well. Because I just think this course is, from what Bill was saying, it's a lot different than we've played in the last decade. And firm and fast conditions, you better, you better, you better be on your game. And that's why you talked about people that are trending. And that's why the one, my top guy this week is, is Justin Thomas. And the first year he played, uh, he played with 39th, then 22nd, 17th, 12th, and 4th. I mean, that's just perfect trending. And Dustin Johnson was always that way, too, And uh, in terms of when he, you know, he came in and won in November. And I, I like that idea that the guy is getting familiar and comfortable with the course. So he, I definitely think Justin Thomas has to be – one of your, your top picks this week. And I think he's flying under the radar. So he, he I like, I mean, there's so much people are writing about so many other things and he just won the players championship, which gives him a lot of confidence. He's been overcoming a lot, the death of his grandpa. And he's had other issues, a lot losing sponsor because of, of what he said in, in Hawaii. So I just think he's, uh, he kind of like put the demons behind him. And I think, I think he's uh, ready, even though it's hard, to win a player's championship and to win a Masters. We haven't seen that since Tiger. So, but I really think he's primed and be ready this week. All right. Well, well, Thomas is part of a, a group that I want to ask you about. There's a, there, there's one fun bet that I found where 
I think probably with this bet, you're at least going to get to sweat it until near the end. Uh, it's on Fox bet. They have a prop called big guns versus the field. So it's plus 162 on the group of DJ Bryson, Spieth, Justin Thomas, who you were just talking about, uh, and and John Rahm. Uh, on any of them to win, it's plus 162. It's minus 200 if you want to take everybody else. Which side of that seems the better bet to you? Well, normally, I mean, I, I like some of the group bets, and I've, I've done them where you, you group two people together. Uh, you know, that's not a very, uh, you know, 162, I mean, it's not something you want to put a lot of money on. But, I mean, I think it's going to be a, a type of player like that. I'm not as big on the Shambo as others are. Uh, I'm, I had Rom at the at the match play a few weeks ago, and uh, so he, he's trending up, even though he wasn't hitting his irons as well there as, as he probably he needs to this week. But the fact that he just had a baby on uh, uh, over the weekend, maybe he'll be more relaxed, and that's always been a problem with him. So I think – you might want to, you know, for people who want to have some some fun and just want to have something to root for, I, you know, they want to put a little little on that. I would I would take the favorites over that, but I mean, you're not. I wouldn't suggest that over the long run. I mean, that would be a losing proposition. Right. Well, it's funny you mentioned uh, Ram and and the baby because I had heard someone last week before the baby was born talking about that if his wife didn't have the baby in time, that that could be a disastrous bet. Uh, so, so you think with the timing of all this, that it actually, he, his, his chances go up. Obviously it's better to have had the baby than not, but even just compared to no baby being in the picture that, that this could possibly carry him and give him a little juice. Yeah. We, we saw Danny Willett a few years ago, uh, one right after his wife had given birth. I mean, typically I like to play the babe angle. I've been doing it since like 2008, but I typically like it a, like a month afterward, after they get their sleep and all that. I mean, they're more relaxed. So, but for him, I mean, he's so fiery, and that's probably that's one thing I noticed when he played the match play two weeks ago. He kept on, he played all his matches. By the time he got to the weekend, he seemed like he was exhausted because he was spending all this energy getting mad over the course of three days. <laughs> and uh, you know, for the match play, when you got to play, when you got to win it, and you got to play uh, what uh, uh, seven rounds. I mean, that's that's a lot. Right. Although I, I remember, though, uh, you know, when my kids were first born, uh, I assume that John Rahm can can afford a baby nurse. Um, and, and so those those first few nights, it, w- it was more like a month in the baby nurse is long gone and I'm not sleeping at all. Those first yeah. few nights, you've got that you've got the help there. I assume uh, one way or another, his wife is not making him get a, get up in the middle of the night <laughs> at this particular moment. Well, I know as a Cup fan, I've had several occasions where a, a player on the Pirates or somebody were playing, all of a sudden his wife had a baby the, the, the day before, and then he comes out in a doubleheader and hits like three home runs and <laughs> sweeps the doubleheader from the cup. So I, I, that's kind of what got me on the baby angle, especially with baseball players. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say that uh, Rory McIlroy, was, uh, he's going to be playing with Rob, and he had a baby, I guess, last year. Well, actually his wife did most of the work. but right. <laughs> um, And so he said, all I can tell you is I shot a 64 my first round as a father. So uh, he'll yeah. be able to loosen the ROM up a little bit too, I think. But uh, Buck, you mentioned uh, losing propositions, and that's kind of leads into my next question. Um, you know, Obviously for a casual player, the who's going to be the leader after round one? Um, will so-and-so make the cut? Will this player make an eagle? Uh, you can have, you know, low South African or, or whatever, low European. Um, are those all completely frivolous, you know, sort of, you know, uh, amusement purposes only, basically? Or are there are there edges for somebody who really, really knows golf gambling like you do? I think, I mean, it's not something that I do, but I know there's people that play that first round and they're, they have a good sense of the first round. People get off to hot starts. 
And uh, especially if they, they get started in the morning when there's good greens on some course. So there are, there are opportunities, you know, to get some, get some juicy prices. And uh, so I, I would think the first people, if they want to have something fun in the first round, that would, that would be one. But I mean, another ones are the top five and top 10 uh, bets. And uh, you know, those are, those are pretty popular. I mean, I, I was looking at uh, DJ and uh, to uh, get into the top five, he was two to one. It's not something I would take, but I mean, he, he had minus 120 for the, uh, for, for the top, 10 and uh, minus 240 for the top 20. So, I mean, there are people that they're willing to, to if they are confident DJ is going to be in the top 20, I mean, if they like to put, put some money down, that would, that would be, that would be interesting. But in terms of pulling ones and Eagles, and I mean, that would be just for fun. I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't, you, you need to focus. If you want to win money, you need to focus on uh, something that you're good at, that you have knowledge, you know, whether it's the matchups or futures odds. Yeah, yeah, I've gotten to uh, my my kind of default mode has been like a top twenty somewhere around even odds. So like uh, when I look at them, I see if there's anybody in there, and you know I've kind of learned you know you don't love the player, you love the price, right? So yeah. I'm looking at that grouping, and if somebody really surprises me, like wow, I I can't believe I can get the number. That's the one I go for, which was good to me last year and been not that great to me this year. That, I mean, those are great if you got somebody that's like uh, 80 to one or hundred to one. And I mean, I normally don't play long shots, uh, but uh, you know, in Vegas, they don't, they traditionally don't have top five betting like they do in Europe. I mean, we, we, the sports books around the country have more betting options for golf than Vegas does, believe it or not. Now. Wow. Uh, but uh, there, there are guys like when I, Angel Cabrera, and I had him uh, at 100 to 1 in 2013. That's when he lost in the playoff to Adam Scott. And I only bet him because I saw him play in the par three contest the day before. I mean, that would have been a perfect one if I had bet him top five. I would have gotten like 25 to 1 or so. I mean, that would have been a perfect, perfect scenario. But we didn't have that option back then. Yeah, I mean, clearly golf is one of those sports where there are a million different approaches you can take to, to betting it from from taking it very seriously and trying to find edges to just having some fun with it, which uh, is more the direction that I lean. I'm kind of looking for a bet that hopefully will give me some reason to watch and enjoy the last uh, the, the, the back nine on Sunday, which there are definitely ways to shape bets that will lead you in that direction. Yeah, and it's fun to still keep alive. It's like a, it's like your NCAA bra- uh, bracket and still got teams alive going to the final four so it just makes for an enjoyable enjoyable weekend yeah and a lot of say a lot of the pros you know here that matchups more and i that's not something that i do but i mean that's for people you know a lot of people like to do that they enjoy the daily matchups or the tournament matchups. absolutely all right well great stuff great talking to you buck uh, thanks for your insights uh, we encourage everyone who's into betting golf to follow buck on twitter at brian buck wargo Uh, And of course, you can find his work at various publications, including usbets.com. Buck, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. All right. Thanks, guys. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. There's no easy way to say it, John. We stink at the moment. Uh, some of it is subpar betting. Some of it is subpar luck. But everything went wrong for us last week. Uh, I'll start with your pre-tournament bet on Gonzaga to win March Madness at plus 205. 
We got five sixths of the way there, but they flamed out in the finals and we lost $100. Uh, I have some semi bad beats I'll complain about in a moment, but first, uh, just a plain old bad bet. I put $125 on the Herring Frampton fight to last the 12 round distance, and Herring won by TKO in the sixth round. I was way off. Uh, now the bad luck. I pegged the Orioles as a live dog against the Red Sox in their opener at plus 155 odds. The game got postponed due to weather. It played the next day with the same pitchers and the Orioles won three, nothing, but too late. Our bet was voided. A potential win of $93 wiped off the table. And I took under seven and a half runs in the twins brewers opener. And with one out in the bottom of the ninth, it was five to two with the bases empty. Then a hit by pitch, then a throwing error by the pitcher on an easy fielder's <laughs> choice, then a hit to knock in a run and ruin the yeah. under. And the game ended up six to five in extra innings, which looks like we missed by a lot, but really we were just two outs from a win there. Uh, instead, we lost $84 on that one, which means we lost $309 on the week, putting us down 1270 bucks overall. We also have $1,819 on hold in futures bets, uh, including four master's bets you made a week in advance. So that leaves us with, I believe, an all-time low $6,911 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first. Uh, and it occurs to me, looking at that low number, uh, that uh, we, we haven't talked about what happens uh, to the podcast if we actually run out of our bankroll money. I, don't, I, I think that means that's the end of the podcast. Uh, so we have to be careful. But uh, uh, I, I, would say, I would say so. But uh, I guess the other question, though, is do we return in an alternate universe? Apparently, that's... Uh... <laughs> Right. Yeah. Well, I'll say this also. I think if we dip down and hopefully we won't, but if we dip down to two, three thousand, we start getting a lot more conservative with our bets. No no more one ten to win one hundred. It's a lot of uh, eleven to win ten. But uh, anyway, uh, I will go with boxing here first to hopefully get us back on track. Uh, Saturday night on ESPN. Good light heavyweight fight. Joe Smith Jr. versus Maxim Vlasov. Smith is about a three to one or four to one favorite, and he's known as a heavy puncher. So Smith by KO is the lowest return method of victory bet. It's only about even money. But I think Smith by decision is just as likely. Vlasov has 48 professional fights, three losses, all those losses by decision. He's never been stopped. And Smith He's best known for his big KOs and memorable fights against Andrew Fanfara and Bernard Hopkins. But of his last five fights, three have gone the distance. FanDuel is paying plus 230 on Smith by decision. I like that return. Let's bet 50 bucks to win $115. That sounds good. Uh, Now I'm going to try a little bit of a hate watch play, which, you know, when you're a losing streak like we are, it's to be expected. Uh, 50 at plus 500 to win 250 on Bryson DeChambeau missing the cut, Mm. which is top 50 and ties out of 88 at the Masters. Um, He has yet to excel in this course, and there could be shifting weather conditions in the first two rounds. And if he blows a tire, he might just skid hard into the wall. Sorry, Bryson. But on a lighter note, I have a more positive bet uh, for the Masters. 50 on Phil Mickelson. He's praying that this course finally ends two many years of being a pitch and putt for the young bucks and, and regains its old toughness. And uh, he gets that wish and firm greens flummox the kids. So he finishes top 20 at a silly plus four fifty to win. Okay. So uh, if we, if one of those two long shots hits, that's a nice profit. If they both hit uh, awesome. So, okay, cool. Uh, so for my second bet this week, I'll go to the NBA. A simple spread bet. Uh, FanDuel has the Chicago Bulls as three and a half point favorites over the Raptors uh, Thursday night, uh, minus 110 odds. Uh, I like the Bulls side of that. They made a big trade deadline move. They added Vucevic. They have good talent now, 
and are clearly looking to make a push to get into the playoffs. And it wasn't clicking at all for a few games, but now they've won two straight seem poised to maybe go on a run or at least to beat the bad teams they're supposed to beat. And Toronto, uh, who lost to the injury ravaged Lakers in their last game, they're outside the playoff picture right now. They qualify as a pretty bad team. So let's put $110 on Chicago to win a hundred that they cover as three and a half point favorites. All right. I'm going to try uh, offensive lineman Penny Sewell of Oregon at minus 143 to go in the top five of the NFL draft, 50 to win 35. I'm getting a little conservative already like you, Eric. Um, <laughs> you know, the vibe is that if Sewell's still there at, at five, somebody makes a deal to go get the big fella. Okay. Uh, I have not done uh, any serious NFL draft research yet. And uh, as you know, I I considered making a a bet on the draft this week. And then I started looking at mock drafts and they were all uh, conflicting with each other. And I just said, uh, screw it. I'm not touching it yet, but uh, I will trust that you know what you're doing with uh, with this Sewell fella. And uh, that will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Buck Wargo. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And with that, John, please step up to the T and take us out. Well, I, I hear a few of you may have watched what I heard it was a kind of entertaining Gonzaga UCLA and March Madness semifinal on Saturday night. Uh, sorry, I missed it because we were holding our 37th almost annual rotisserie league baseball auction at the time. Uh, 11 guys aged 55 to 78, many struggling with WebEx, to be honest. Uh, one in particular, not so much figuring out the mute button, uh, therefore treating the rest of us for most of the night with sounded like a mashup of a blender, a bandsaw, and a cat whose tail got stepped on. That was, <laughs> that was a little rough, and uh, we loved it. Well, yes and no, we kind of did. But this was the first ever auction for us not held in person. Hard to believe you're under 40, but that's true. Uh, it's just for the previous 20 years, the same you know band of vagabonds has been jabbing, teasing, and what eventually would become to be known as trash talking each other. Uh, I'm one of two to serve all 37 tours of duty, and three others date back to the 1980s and so forth. And you know, it wasn't 12 angry men; it was more like 12 witty men. Uh, and then there were 11. One of our merry men passed away in January, and mm-hmm. while the majority of the remaining 11 are now retired, this owner was only 58 years old. You know, we didn't hold an auction in 2020 because several owners, including that one, were so turned off by the owners and players squabbling. They didn't want to deal with it. So I will say in retrospect, I'm grateful that I drove this owner to our 2018 and 2019 auction locations, about 90 minute round trip in each case. And another owner was part of that posse as well. Uh, I remember attending every single Thursday pub night of my senior year of college and precociously saying at the time that I doubt anybody on their deathbed in their 80s ever said, you know, my one regret is I wish I had skipped a few of those pub nights. Well, the same principle applies here. Nobody ever exits stage left wishing they had spent less time with some of their favorite people in the world. You know, a possible takeaway for younger subscribers when you're thinking about your online fantasy football league coming up in September, you know, you could show up together. You know, it might actually be fun. Just something to think about. And I know you figure, you know, well, we've got plenty of years left to think about something like that. And maybe you do, probably you do, maybe you don't. And with that, until next time, everybody, gamble on. Gamble on.